0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
1: On this episode, Russian President Vladimir Putin unveils his country's new enhanced nuclear arsenal. Is it virtually undetectable? Is it impossible to defend against? The publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, Joel Skousen, discusses.
2: You watch sites like Russia Insider or the Saker, you know, these are people who are pro-Russia, who have been in U.S. intelligence or otherwise, and they are just jumping up and down and say, game over, it's all over, you know, the U.S. Navy is toast, nothing works anymore, the U.S. is totally uh, hostage to these new weapon systems uh, by Russia. That isn't exactly true.
1: This podcast is brought to you by International Star Registry. You know, it's tough coming up with unique gift ideas, especially for that person who seems to have everything. My friends at International Star Registry can help. They've been providing unique gift ideas for over 25 years. International Star Registry allows you to name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. I can't think of a more romantic gift idea, let's say, for an anniversary name a star after someone you care about and they'll remember it forever the address is getarealstar.com getarealstar.com and give someone the gift of a real star in the sky that address again getarealstar.com
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett pursuing the truth wherever it leads
1: And welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited, where we follow the truth wherever it leads. This is episode 42. Hey, I forgot to mention, last week, I took my boys down to Buffalo to see the Leafs play the Sabres at the Key Bank Center, and we stayed at this great little boutique hotel on Pearl Street, the Lofts on Pearl. Had a great time. And as we're getting into the elevator to go down to the game, the elevator stops on the floor below, and an entire family... Uh, from Goderich, Ontario, gets on. There's dad and mom, and they had, I think, about five children, and everyone, every last one of them was wearing a Leaf jersey. So then we get out onto the street and started walking towards the Key Bank Center, and we see dozens of other people on the street all wearing Leafs jerseys. And then we get into the Key Bank Center, and it starts filling up, and there's a, a sea, an, a, just a total sea of blue and white jerseys in the crowd. I'd uh, I'd say the Leaf fans outnumbered Sabres fans like maybe 5 to 1. Great time uh, even though we lost 5 to 3. Uh hey, you know who else is a huge hockey fan? Vladimir Putin. This guy is crazy apparently about hockey. He'll practice for hours every week on an indoor rink outside of Moscow. So Vlad loves hockey. He can't be all that bad, right? Well, I don't know. Recently Uh, he unveiled his country's new and enhanced nuclear arsenal. Now, check this out. An underwater drone armed with a nuclear warhead, powerful enough to sweep away coastal facilities and aircraft carriers. A hypersonic vehicle, impossible to intercept as it flies in a cloud of plasma like a meteorite. A couple of weeks ago, Putin said that Russia has these new strategic weapons and many more, declaring no one has listened to us You will listen to us now. He unveiled this stunning catalog of doomsday machines in his annual State of the Nation speech, saying that Russia had to build them to counter the potential threat posed by the U.S. missile defense system. So, we are going to dive deep into the Russian nuclear threat. Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service found at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel is a political scientist by training and speaks multiple foreign languages, which he uses in accessing information here and abroad. He specializes in helping readers understand the hidden agenda of those that secretly control both political parties and the U.S. government. Joel Skousen, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: I'm just fine, uh, Richard. It's always good to be with you.
1: Likewise, my friend. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, unveiled his uh, enhanced nuclear capabilities via slideshow uh, last week. And uh, first of all, I wanted to... What, what do we mean by enhanced nuclear capabilities in terms of what the Russians have?
2: Well, the enhancements basically that they're touting are hypervelocity and um, uh, nuclear power for a cruise missile and uh, an unmanned... Uh, basically submarine uh, that can go uh, worldwide and detonate a nuclear weapon. So those are definitely enhancements in the, uh, in the current uh, technology of nuclear weapons. So delivers at least delivery systems.
1: So long range sub based uh, nukes. Is that something new? Uh,
2: It's something, you know, the U S certainly has the capability of doing, um, uh, you know it's it's nothing more than putting robotics on a on a smaller submarine and uh so it's not really new technology no
1: now the, the the cruise missiles apparently that he has are are long range tell me about those
2: well it's considered unlimited range with a nuclear engine and the US was uh, developing something almost a decade ago called the Pluto project and then they claimed that they did not uh put it into development. Uh, I frankly don't believe it. I think it's one of those projects that, uh, got to a certain point that said we better take this underground so that, uh, we don't let anybody else know about it, even our own people. Uh, but essentially the key thing, it's not that difficult. You take a Ramjet engine instead of putting fuel in it, you put super heated air from a nuclear reaction, um, uh, and what you do, you open wide open a nuclear reaction into the uh, stream of a ramjet engine, and it acts just like fuel. The trouble is, of course, <laughs> no, you can't have a pilot, you know, in there because you're going to get radiated. And so it is, um, it is new technology. No one claims to have done it uh, other than the U.S. a dec- decade ago in terms of, uh, of putting that together. Uh, but with the Improvements in robotics and drone aircraft and things, this is a natural follow-on. And so they're claiming to have unlimited range anywhere in the world, In a strike from over Antarctica or the Arctic Pole or any any place else. And uh, um, it's a formidable weapon, yes.
1: Now, Putin is claiming that this particular uh, weapon, this long-range cruise missile, nuclear missile, is virtually undetectable, I think he used the word invisible, not not literally vi- invisible, but almost impossible to detect and very difficult to defend against. Is that true, and if so, why?
2: Well, it's not true. All of the missiles that are difficult to defend against have to have very high velocities and be able to maneuver. Now, you can't put stealth technology on a hypervelocity vehicle because the heat signature alone makes it stand out to satellites and uh, infrared detection. So um, I frankly don't believe the invisibility uh, claim.
1: The other thing that uh, that the Russians have is uh, this train. I think they call it the nuclear train. They have some of their, their missiles on this train, and it's constantly moving around, difficult to detect. And supposedly he's made it even harder to detect by satellite or radar um, I, I guess he sort of camouflaged this train. Is are you concerned about this this train? Is that a particularly lethal method of launching these weapons? Because it's always in motion.
2: Well, it is. Even if it's uh, visible, uh, of course you you know the new drone type aircraft, uh, stealth drone aircraft, could find those uh, trains, and that's why they've gone to to camouflage. But in terms of being hit by a nuclear missile, I mean, it's the same uh, railroad track uh, that was proposed for the Utah desert, which uh, everybody vetoed. Nobody wanted to have this uh, train moving around in their state. And uh, uh, so we have political considerations that get in the way of, uh, but everybody has known for years that uh, moving, putting missiles on mobile launchers makes them fairly invulnerable to strike by ballistic missiles, not by cruise missiles, but by ballistic missiles.
1: So is this much ado about nothing or I mean, so is Trump simply, or rather is Putin rather playing to his own constituents because he's gearing up for another presidential election or what, what's going on here?
2: Well, there's a little bit of all of that. Certainly he's, you know, his whole purpose in coming to power and being the new strong man is to put Russia back into the old Soviet mold of being the, the big uh, bully on the block. And, uh, He's also put the U.S. on notice that, uh, you know, you wouldn't listen to us before, now you're going to listen to us. So it's kind of like uh, rattling sabers to a very large degree. Uh, And you know, if you watch sites like Russia Insider or the Saker, you know, these are people who are pro-Russia, who have been in U.S. intelligence or otherwise, uh, and they are just jumping up and down and say, game over, it's all over, you know, the U.S. Navy is toast, nothing works anymore. The U.S. is totally uh, hostage to these new weapon systems uh, by Russia. That isn't exactly true. You can't run around using one of these weapons with a nuclear warhead uh, and take out an aircraft carrier group without getting a nuclear response from the United States. In other words, this isn't game over. You don't go around... You know shooting up uh, major aircraft carrier groups by a nation as powerful as the United States with nuclear weapons without expecting some kind of retaliation from it. So it isn't just an end game. We can take on an aircraft carrier so, so you're dead. You're not dead. I mean we have retaliatory capability. Now whether or not our globalist government would do any retaliation is another question entirely but certainly it would give uh, any nation pause about uh, going to war unless they're ready to really take a war on with the full ramifications of all the weapons involved, nuclear weapons, et cetera. I mean, everyone keeps talking about NATO threatening Russia at its border with holding exercises and, and having some scenario like Russian tanks moving into the former East German uh, states, et cetera. And that's just not how the World War III is gonna start. And World War III is not gonna start with any of these weapons. World War III is going to start with nuclear weapons, um, you know, massive nuclear weapons uh, striking uh, and aimed from Russia and China's point of view at U.S. military bases, including missile bases. And uh, so the only thing that will change this thing relative to that first strike scenario, which everybody wants to do, nobody wants to start a conventional war um, because that gives the U.S. the advantage. You want to start a non-conventional war if you're going to deal with U.S. conventional superiority, or at least, you know, there's still numerical superiority, even if there aren't technical superiority, if these things are all, um, you know, put into play. Um, but the the key to understanding this is that uh, this is uh, probably meant, in my opinion, to stop Trump from uh, preemptively striking North Korea, is to give their advisors pause about, uh, you know, it happened in Vietnam, the US McNamara and uh, and, uh, um, President Johnson would not allow any of our naval pilots to attack the Russian ships or the Chinese ships. Or, or aircraft or airfields coming in to resupply the North Korea under the threat that they might start World War Three. Well, that's an even bigger threat now with these kinds of weapons. I mean, if you dare tackle North Korea, that you could start World War Three. And if it starts out conventional, as I'm, as I'm thinking it would be, uh, China and Russia would continue to resupply North Korea. And our globalist leaders around Trump would have the same excuse. Oh, you can't attack those ships or Russia could unleash these super weapons, you know, on our carriers uh, sitting, which would be sitting decks out there.
1: A part of Putin's slideshow uh, featured uh, an animation of, or a computer-generated animation of nuclear missiles raining down on the state of Florida. That, that seems like a page rated right of Kim Jong-un's book. Uh, <laughs> I've never, I mean, Putin is certainly not as unstable as Kim Jong-un, but... That That's a rather reckless and irresponsible move, even for Putin, wouldn't you think?
2: Well, except that this was, uh, you know, um, this was couched in all of that uh, propaganda to threaten the United States, uh, who has been ranging over the world, intervening in the world. And, uh, you know, Russia's been tired of it. Russia intervened in Syria basically to stop or to expose that phony inter- or that intervention in Syria in the name of ISIS exposing the US is not really fighting ISIS and uh, you know the US have been so embarrassed by the Russian performance there they basically made ISIS disappear and meld back into the Syrian rebel forces which they came from and it uh, never was uh, you know an independent separate force that came out of nowhere instantaneously They're just a renaming of the about half of the Syrian rebels into ISIS and now they're back in you won't hear much about it anymore
1: now, the, um, the new START treaty, uh, which was uh, signed back in 2010, has anything that the the Russians have done with this new announcement of their enhanced nuclear arsenal, does that violate START? Has the United States violated START?
2: No, the United States has complied, even though all of Russia's newest missile developed from the Topol-M onward have been violated to START. The problem is our cia has always and still does say that russia is in compliance now how can you be in compliance remember that the u.s took off all of their three triple warheads on the minuteman three missiles and reduced it to a single warhead so there was a 300 percent reduction to qualify for new start what did the russians do they built topol m's they were building about three uh, per quarter and deploying them and now they've got the new uh, RS-28, the Sarmat missile with 15 warheads and things. So how do you continue to build 10 warhead rockets and 15 warhead rockets and put them into play and still be in compliance with New START? Well, it's just an arbitrary thing. The CIA says they're in compliance because we don't want to. Uh, basically make an issue that the US, in other words, our government has always been wanting to have further disarmament. So you have to claim that the Russians are in compliance if they're going to have future disarmament. Now, that's, I think, a a dead issue. And that's why I don't understand why the CIA continues to say that they're in compliance. Now, how would they know if they're in compliance? That's been my question for the last 20 years. They've never been in Yamantou Mountain the big underground bunker fab, uh, factory city, as big as Washington, D.C., underground. How do you know that they're in combined We've never been into the warhead refurbishing facility we built for the Russians as part of the Nunn-Lugar agreement. Where we dismantled their SS, part of their SS-18s and gave them back the warheads to be able to refurbish. And so, I mean, even General Hobbiger of the Strategic Command back in the late 90s said, we really don't know what they've got because the only thing we've been able to inspect are their World War II facilities.
1: <laughs> well, that's not very helpful.
2: That's not very helpful at all. And we haven't had inspectors in there for the past six or seven years. So, And they never were allowed to go into the top secret, only the old... I mean, there was this whole PBS documentary called The Missileers with Hobbiker feature going through these old World War II refurbished missile where they had missiles, uh, you know, and rotting missiles and things. And this was the state of the Soviet arms at the time. It was just pure propaganda and shame on Hobbiger and the other U.S. generals who participated in that piece of propaganda.
1: So what does the United States nuclear arsenal look like right now? I've, I've read somewhere around 7,000 warheads, but only about 1,700 are deployed.
2: Well, those are the official numbers. But uh, and they give <laughs> like official numbers to Russia, but I don't know how they continue to build missiles and, and say they're still in compliance. Do they automatically assume that they're decommissioning some? I think that's what they're assuming, uh, but it's really stupid. I think the Russians have uh, you know at least double that amount now. I think uh, China we don't know how much they. We know they've got about three thousand miles of underground tunnel facilities for their nuclear. And we don't have any treaties with the the Chinese. I mean, what good does it do to have continued disarmament with the Russians when you have a third power there that is completely building and nuclear armed? It's like, you know, three gunfighters facing off in the street and two of them decide to lay down their guns but the third does not. I mean, how stupid is that? We don't even talk about, you know, Chinese disarmament. No everyone knows the Chinese aren't going to disarm. So, what's the purpose of it all? What's the purpose of new start? it's It's a moot point as long as you've got a third nuclear power out there that isn't complying right now in in point of fact, Richard, I'm convinced the u s has other weapon systems um, uh, being that I'm convinced that you know they have been stupid not to have developed that nuclear engine for cruise missiles. Uh, it's telling that they haven't ordered any more Tomahawk missiles. They're they're using them up as we speak, but you can bet they've got other missiles that they're developing. Uh, They may not have nuclear engines in them, which isn't really that necessary, I mean, to be able to have unlimited range. um, Because, I mean, strategically speaking, the current crop of cruise missiles, you know, you can deliver to almost any place in the world that you want, so, uh, you know, with uh, within two to 3,000 miles. So that's not really a big issue to have unlimited range.
1: Uh, President Trump says he's committed to rebuilding the U.S. Uh, defense uh, systems, uh, nuclear arsenal, and so forth. What does he need to do, in your estimation, uh, to... Well, the
2: first thing that he did was say, I mean, this uh, he's obviously a bit, you know, he doesn't have any experience militarily at all. And so he got this from other people like H.R. McMasters. And what did they talk about? This isn't an expansion of the U.S. nuclear arsenal. This is a bunch of smaller nuclear warheads to put on cruise missiles, which we've already got, uh, and putting smaller warheads on missiles. This is disarmament by any other means. This is not an expansion. I mean, I just about croaked when I read his proposal. This is smaller, not larger. What he needs is to put the, uh, uh, uh you know the big uh, 10 more head missile that's stored out in the utah uh, salt flats and, uh, and the guidance systems of really hill, of course being put those uh, peacekeeper missiles back in not on silos but on mobile missile launchers that's what he really needs to do i mean that's a legitimate deterrent and then he needs a decent anti ballistic missile system that can handle maneuvering warheads and that means you've got to have a, a big warhead yourself to handle the, the difficulty of intercepting a, a hypersonic uh, maneuvering warhead coming in.
1: How long before the United States uh, basically hit, loses nuclear superiority to either the Russians or the Chinese or both?
2: Well, it's a tough question to, uh, to answer, Richard, because the U.S., you know, I'm convinced is just not stupid enough to be disarming without having secret weapon systems that... Uh, Um, I mean, here's, for example, you can defeat a good many of these hypersonic and type of warheads from space because you can get those missiles in a trajectory where they're slow and where they're vulnerable. And I think they've got space-based missiles. I don't think they're going to use them to defend the United States. uh, That's why they're keeping them secret. uh, That is, until after you know, a nuclear first strike has, has fallen on American forces and they want to talk us into a global new world order. Then they'll bring out secret weapon systems to to, um, to stop any further attacks from occurring. And then we'll just see how, how what kind of secret weapons we really did have. Now, I can't prove that, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of activity going on in Area 51. And, uh, you know, there's some uh, 30,000 people that work out there. I mean, they're not just working on you know idle projects these are top secret a lot of black budget money going into the stuff trillions of dollars um, so They're doing something out there, and you can bet it's uh, high-tech stuff.
1: I wonder if they're working on any nutritional supplements out at Area 51. You know, I bet when they recovered UFO crash debris at Roswell, they must have found some alien nutritional supplements. They should try and back-engineer those. In the meantime, we do have my good friends at Life Extension, and Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, and potency of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. Life Extension supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eye, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. That's one reason why 98% of their customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line, Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com.
0: If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. (laughs) Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
1: The publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, Joel Skousen, is with me on Conspiracy Unlimited, and we're talking about the Russian nuclear threat. Do the Russians have a civil defense program?
2: Well, yes, they had one during the uh, proposed signing of the ABM Treaty, and the U.S. program was just beginning. And that's why the Russians wanted wanted us to sign one. And the U.S. wisely backed out under Reagan and said, no, we're not going to abide by the ABM Treaty because we need an anti-ballistic missile system. And then the U.S. went and built a dumb system with a kinetic warhead that doesn't have an explosive warhead on it. With only a 50% kill rate, and there's no wonder because you've got to make physical contact with a warhead. And those ABM systems are absolutely obsolete now that you've got hypersonic, uh, gliding, maneuvering warheads.
1: Uh, But I, I, I mean a civil defense program, underground shelters on a massive scale, something that we don't seem to have here in North America anymore.
2: Well, yeah, the Russians have some. They still don't intend to shield all of the people. That's very, very difficult to do. Uh, So most of this is for the elite uh, in their bunker systems, but they do have significant shelter systems. And, of course, our government is building a lot of new, deep, deep underground bunkers because they know this war is coming, but they're not encouraging anyone privately or otherwise to do the same. And that is criminal in my estimation, to have new bunkers being built, very sophisticated bunkers and not warning the American people about what you know is the real threat.
1: And how about China? Uh, do they have a civil defense program that we know of?
2: No, they don't tend uh, to sh- just for the elite, but they don't intend to shield any of the people. And they're not encouraging that as well. To them, people are relatively expensive- expendable. <laughs> and they've got billions. They don't figure they can all be. Uh, killed to any such extent. And they don't think the West is going to target people. And actually, you know, surprisingly, we did during World War II. It was unnecessary to firebomb German cities, the civilian population. Uh, but that's what Churchill and uh, and uh, Eisenhower did.
1: Uh, oh, I, before we uh, proceed further, we should tell people how they can subscribe to World Affairs Brief.
2: Well, the World Affairs Brief is a weekly news analysis service I put out to a subscription base. It's a modest $48 a year, about a dollar a week. And uh, But before people subscribe, I encourage them to email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com and get a free sample issue. It explains how to, uh, how to subscribe.
1: Now, the last time we spoke, um, you mentioned something that happened during the, I believe it was the Clinton administration, a reversal in a longstanding, was it the first strike policy?
2: That's correct. Uh, not, not a first strike, it was a launch on warning po- policy. In other words, the traditional doctrine, if you're going to design a military doctrine to win a nuclear war, which is what we had under Ronald Reagan, you will launch on warning as soon as our satellites detect a missile launch, you'll launch your missiles so that their missiles hit empty silos and our missiles then hit uh, good targets. So the one who launches second in a nuclear exchange on launch on warning scenario wins the one who launches second. And, uh, the, Disarmament and peaceniks during the Clinton administration uh, talked Clinton into revising our national military doctrine and nuclear doctrine to no longer try to win a nuclear war, but simply to deter one. And that included the concept that we would voluntarily choose not to launch on warning, but would only launch after we had, had absorbed a nuclear first strike.
1: And wow. if we absorb a first strike – then what, what's left to, to fire back the other way?
2: Well, that's what General Butch Neal of the Marine Corps said. Retaliate with what? And what people don't realize is that along with PDD-60, this presidential decision directive that Clinton signed in 1997, and you can still see a summary of that on uh, the Arms Control Today website, the 1997 November-December issue by Craig Cernillo, who came out. And he was deeply familiar with because he helped write this nuclear doctrine. He's a, you know anti-nuclear disarmament guy. And um, a national, one of the National Security Council guys uh, in the Clinton administration that was saying that, no, no, we can still launch on warning under this, that nothing's changed. And he came and said, no, no, that's not true. We voluntarily it was Robert Bell the National Defense uh, Council for the President uh, who was saying we could still launch a warning and, uh, he, uh, said, and he said no no that's not true we voluntarily given that up and uh, we told our military forces not to rely on it PDD 60 also removed the alternate launch codes so that if you didn't get communication from the White House you couldn't launch before that time if you'd actually had a nuclear detonation it was an automatic that the military had alternate launch codes and submarine command they could launch and retaliate uh, even without communication with the president in an actual attack. And that was removed. So, you know, a lot had changed uh, in that. And, uh, you know, our, our military forces, our missile forces still practice launch on warning. They still think they're going to be able to do that. But I don't think they're going to get the codes. You know, the codes from the nuclear suitcase that accompanies the president don't go directly to the missile forces. They go through a major command center and up through satellite uplinks and then through low-frequency transmitters and various means to get the message out to the missile forces. So it's fairly easy for deep state people surrounding the president to block that nuclear command if Trump should decide to strike.
1: Right, uh, because the way that he's been dealing with... Uh, his conventional forces is to give them almost free reign, r- as opposed to during the Obama administration, where there was a lot of hanging and ringing uh, and everything had to go through various layers. Uh, Trump has basically said, if you, if you feel the need to engage uh, f- forces on the ground, then do so. So is he, even- that,
2: that didn't include nuclear though. No, he still, no. he still had the nuclear, he has to make the nuclear decision, but I'm still saying that that, Decision, even if he puts it in from the bunker in the White House, doesn't mean it's going to get out to the missile forces.
1: Right. What would it take to override that presidential directive? A stroke of the pen?
2: Well, in the first place, I don't believe that Trump's ever been told about PDD-60. In fact, I have found very few people in Washington who even know it exists. To them, it's ancient history, but it's still on the books, and it's still ready. There has never been a revision of that nuclear doctrine, so it still stands. And I don't think – you know, Trump doesn't come in knowing anything. I don't think anybody's told him about that.
1: That's shocking. That's absolutely shocking. It is
2: shocking. But that's what happens when you have a president who has no experience. I mean, he sits there in the tank, which is that special soundproof and spy-proof briefing room in the Pentagon – and gets this wall of briefing from the panel How does he know how to respond to that? I mean, he fought back a month later after being talked into Afghanistan, and he kept saying, you know, well, how come we have troops in Somalia after that Somali terrorist attack? Uh, and uh, and they said, well, you know, it's to stop the war on terror. Well, you could use that excuse for anything. You told me that for Afghanistan, nothing's happened in Afghanistan. You know, to justify that. And so he keeps pushing back against them, but he doesn't have the wherewithal to specifically counter and say, no, this is bogus. We're going to do this. And I'm afraid he's right now getting talked out of taking out Kim Jong-un in North Korea. You know, I'm I'm not a neocon. I've never... uh, you know, approved of all this intervention around the world, but North Korea is a uh, existential threat to this nation, and they've declared it openly. We're going to kill you. Yes. that's why we're developing the nuclear weapons. Um,
1: and they are but, playing this, the South Koreans like useful oh, fools. I
2: know. And this week, of course, he comes out and says that you know, after saying for years now, the nuclear missile program or my missile program and the nuclear option is not on the negotiating table and this week Kim came out to stop the attack by the Trump knowing that they were putting it off till after the Olympics and came out and said we can discuss denuclearization he just put it out on the table he has no intention and Trump tweeted wonderful how stupid can you get this just is delay tactics
1: delay tactics
2: this is the president yes. who excoriated every previous president for being fooled by North Korea into their denuclearization promises and he's buying into to himself i'm i'm just without description uh, richard to understand how lack of trust i have in him keeping his word his vows is defined things. I mean, right or wrong, you just can't trust anything until he actually does it.
1: Well, the what are the options uh, militarily as you see them for the United States against North Korea at this point? There's
2: only one option that's viable, and that is a massive preemptive strike that hits all three of the three legs of this offensive power. The artillery and rocket forces on the DMZ, the air bases and the missile launch sites. If you don't take those three out in the first two or three days, he's gonna uh, launch a massive retaliatory strike against South Korea. And especially, it's the most difficult thing to overcome are the 15,000 artillery tubes and about the 10,000 rocket tubes that he's got aimed at Seoul. You need large, fast, area weapons to blanket the DMZ, to, to take those out. And, you, you know, they're going to launch some of those. Within a you know, few minutes' notice, they can have artillery shells heading for Seoul. But you can blanket that area and make that unlivable and, and stop that. But if you do anything less, if you do a bloody nose strike, if you just hit some missile fields or hit an air base or two like they did in Syria, Kim Jong-un cannot lose face. He's an oriental. I mean, he's an egomaniac, and he's going to respond. So I think he's playing, of course, with, uh, with China's um, uh, advice. He's playing Trump to the hilt. He just give Trump some excuse to back down, and he's going to back down. And he put negotiations on the table for the nuclear program, and I don't believe for a minute they intend. He's just buying time.
1: This preemptive strike of, that, yeah. you, that you're describing, this would be non-nuclear, Correct.
2: It, it may, you, you might have to use tactical nuclear weapons, uh, neutron bomb, which the U.S. has in secret stories, I don't know, uh, they have not deployed it, as far as I know, but you need something that's a big enough area weapon to stop those artillery forces from, from uh, pounding Seoul, and that's the major thing. Even a few rockets being launched, although, uh, you know, North Korea has a massive arsenal of chemical weapons. And they could use those on Seoul, too, which could be devastating. So it really needs to be a coordinated rapid strike with virtually all the carrier and land-based and and, uh, and airborne forces that the U.S. has in Guam, in Japan, in on the aircraft carriers, and in Korea itself. Uh, and I think the U.S. has enough firepower to do it. But I, I just have a gut feeling that Trump's military advisors are not putting... The total thing, they want to do this bloody nose. They just want to throw something out like they did to Syria as a threat. And boy, it's going to backfire.
1: And you know, that, with-
2: that said, I still, I, I think now Trump's being talked out of it. The negotiations are, are going to play through. And I think the chances of the North Korean war happening under Trump now are slim.
1: What about a series of uh, dropping a series of those mob bombs, the mother of all bombs that they used in Afghanistan on uh, North Korean headquarters, just cut off the head of the snake, as they say? Would that be effective?
2: Well, it may or may not, uh, depending on whether or not he's got advance notice and isn't there. And it's unlikely that he would be there. I mean, the chances are at best 50-50 on that. Uh, I'd much rather see those bombs being used if they had enough of them, you know, to blanket the DMZ to take out artillery forces.
1: Does the United States have enough of those MOBs? I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: But they still have a lot of cruise missiles. They have, a, uh, they have nuclear tip ones. Uh, and they, I think they've got enough firepower to make that DMZ pretty much unlivable for those artillery forces. They're going to take a few hits in Seoul the first day because they won't be able to get them all. But I think they could get most of them.
1: And where is South Korea in all this? They have been told repeatedly or asked repeatedly since, I think, the Carter administration uh, to develop a massive evacuation plan for Seoul. Yet they've done nothing, as far as I know.
2: Well, it's pretty futile, really, to try, you know... uh, Evacuating the LA basin, you see the, the size and the, the scope. It's not quite as big as that, of course, but it's just very big. And where do you put them? Where do you go? You know, that's really not an option. The United States is partly responsible. They never should have allowed all those artillery forces on the DMZ. Technically, it's not within the little narrow demilitarized zone, but they should have said, in the spirit of the DMZ, you're not allowed to have any offensive weapons capable of hitting Seoul. And you remove them or we're going to take them out. And and the earlier we could have done it, when they put them in there, the easier it would have been. But uh, now it's difficult. Now it's going to take a massive offensive strike. I just have a gut feeling, though, that his advisors are not going to do that.
1: Let's say they do. Would that preemptive strike cause retaliation from either the Russians or the Chinese, a nuclear response?
2: Yeah, I do not believe so. And the reason I don't is because they aren't ready for World War III. Despite these new weapons that the uh, Russians say they have, they don't have very many of those. I would say at best they've got two or three of each. And that's not enough to win a war against the United States. (laughs) Neither of those countries either have a blue water navy. How do they consolidate the war even if they win it? Now the the globalists know that they intend to strike the U.S. military and then blackmail the West into submission. Uh, but how do you consolidate that without a blue water navy and, and occupation forces around the world? You just don't.
1: Uh, speaking of occupation forces, would boots, U.S. boots on the ground be necessary in North Korea if they were to if they were to use a first sort of a preemptive strike, uh, as you no, described? No,
2: they would not. They would not. I would say you just defang him and then you say, all right, let's negotiate. But boy, you want, you don't want to get into a boots on the ground thing with the military with one and a half million men and another half a million in reserves there in North Korea. That would be very, very much worse than Vietnam, especially if you don't take out Russian and, and Chinese resupply things. I mean, it would be a, a very devastating war. But I think you just need to remove his threat uh, from the rest of the world, and then you can start to work from a negotiated basis.
1: And if there is no preemptive strike on the horizon, then what happens, Joel?
2: Well, if it's a bloody no strike, we're going to have another full Korean War. And I think it will end in a stalemate again. I don't think the U.S. will attack Russian or uh, Chinese resupply, and you can't win that war. It'll get bloody. It would get unpopular, and, and, uh, and uh, Trump, uh, his advisor, would say, let's have another truce. And then that trigger event, and I've always thought that North Korea is being preserved for the trigger event for World War III, it would be postponed until it is useful to the Russians and Chinese as the real trigger event for World War III sometime in the next decade when they are ready. So you see, right now, Trump has threatened to pull the trigger on North Korea prematurely. But I think they have plans that even if he does, they'll make it into a stalemate again uh, so that it can be triggered again uh, when Russia and China are ready.
1: So in, in in order to forestall that, you say we need a full-on preemptive strike now to, to, that's to right. defang, Congrats, North Korea. defang
2: North Korea. And you don't have to kill hardly any civilians to do that.
1: Well, we will – I mean, that's – that's going to obviously uh, cause some some casualties in in Seoul, as you say. But uh, as as horrible an eventuality as that is, it's nothing compared to what might happen if they continue to delay and delay and delay.
2: Well, that's right. You know, the further you delay with a uh, inveterate uh, enemy like that, I mean, you just I mean, that's what's been happening: to the globalists in arming Russia and China to keep arming them They keep giving them aid and. and and trade and now look at how strong they are now you can't stop it you can't defang them without a nuclear war and so uh, it's called mutually assured destruction it really isn't i mean the russians and chinese have bunker cities they are contending at least for the leadership to survive Um, our leaders have bunker cities they intend to survive this it's the populations that are held hostage from this
1: joel once again how do we subscribe to world affairs brief
2: Uh, People can go to worldaffairsbrief.com and hit the red subscribe button, or they can email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com and get a free sample issue, which tells them how to subscribe.
1: Thanks again, Joel. Always a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Richard. Bye now.
1: Bye-bye. All right, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, you know the drill. I'm going to reveal what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Before that, just a reminder, we have this weekly contest going. Every Friday, I draw a name, and the winner receives a copy of my Strange Planet CD, which is a collection of my weekly radio feature. And if you want to participate, all you need to do is rate and review this podcast— Grab a screenshot of that and email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your full name and address. And your name goes into the ginormous cheese puffs jar. Who you calling a cheese puff? Uh, And then you can listen every Friday uh, for your name. Good luck. Speaking of cheese puffs, we have this cupboard for snacks upstairs, mainly for the boys, of course, and there's chips and cookies and chocolate and uh, everything, gummy bears, and every time I walk by, I am tempted. I got to put a lock on that thing, Uh, and that's part of the challenge, right, with losing weight, temptation. And unfortunately, the commitment to weight loss often fades. Many people simply give up in the first 90 days. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes. And hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram your mind and replace those bad habits with vibrant positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight Loss Hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out Weight Loss Hypnotherapy right now at SmartClickSavings.com. That's SmartClickSavings.com. Coming up on episode 43 of Conspiracy Unlimited, picturing the invisible, seance photography with Shannon Taggart, capturing the spirit world and ectoplasm on film. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
0: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com